well, we're going to be talking about the power of thanks. Um, and the power of thanks, uh, I think that's, there we go, the power of thanks. We're going to be really unpacking uh, one verse in the Bible. We're going to be touching on another place, uh, a number of other places. We're going to be talking out of Psalm 118, verse 1. Uh, and if you don't have a Bible and you need one, uh, you just slip up your hand, we'll get one to you. Psalm 118.1 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his faithful love endures forever. Let's pray, and we're just going to ask God to help us as we study the Bible together. Our Father in heaven, I pray that you um, would just bestow on us a spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Christ, that we would know and love and trust him more because we're here this morning, and that we would be people of intense and immense gratitude, that as Christians we would not be known for our political positions, we would not be known so much for um, you know, what, what we look like, or what kind of people uh, we may be in terms of our ethnicity or our age, but we would be known as people who are just profoundly and intensely and consistently grateful. That, that when people think of Christians, they think of people who are giving thanks all of the time. And I just ask this in Jesus' name, by your Spirit's power to speak through your word. Amen and amen. We live in a culture of all sorts of different sort of impulses and emotions. We live in a culture that is, a, is, in many ways, it's an outrage culture. I don't know if you've heard the phrase cancel culture, the cancel culture, that somebody does something wrong or like politically incorrect or sort of culturally inappropriate, and they are what is called, quote unquote, canceled, that, that people say they're no longer relevant, they should no longer have a platform to speak into the public forum. And, and people, is always, people are just always angry. And you turn on you know, cable news, and people are just always angry. You go on Twitter, and people are always angry. You know, Trump said this, or the Democrats did that. People are just always angry. We live in a culture of outrage. We live in an outrage culture. We also live in an excessive culture. People just have way more than they need. The w just way more than they need. In most cultures throughout history, the, the number one problem was, are you going to have enough to eat or are you going to die from starvation? In our culture, the number one problem is not death from starvation, but death from obesity and heart disease and all of these things. Because we live in a culture where there's just way more than we need. And all of us, I mean, in, in my kids' toy room, toy room, right? There's a room where they put their toys, right? Not in the, their bedroom, and then they have a spot for their toys. There's, there's just, we just have so much stuff. And Laura and I are like, this year we got to go through and systematically give stuff away for when the next round of gifts come in, right? And it's not like we live in like this crazy excessive household. It's just when you have grandparents and parents and aunts and uncles and cousins and people, so many people who love you and they give you things and you just have way more than you need. And I believe, you know, they, they just have way more than they need. And you have way more, I believe, probably than you need in other ways. We have storage units, right, where we spend 
hundreds and then thousands of dollars to store stuff that's worth dozens or hundreds of dollars, right? And you, you spend four grand to store all your stuff that's worth like $2,200 on a good day. Not that I'm speaking from experience or anything. We live in a culture of excess. We have way more than we need. We live in a culture of ambition. Everybody is trying to climb up to a better position. They're trying to make more money. They're trying to have more fame. They're trying to have more influence. They're trying to have more happiness. They're trying to have a better retirement. They're trying to have more, bigger, better, faster, and more. We live in an ambitious culture where we're trying to make something of ourselves. We're trying to pursue our dreams. We're trying to live life to the full. We have this ambition for the good life. For some people, that's like powerful and a powerful and influential position in their career. For other people, it's freedom to travel and to enjoy life. But we have this ambitious impulse that our culture puts into us and really disciples us into. We live in an impatient culture. Oh, do we? I can tell you we live in an impatient culture. How do I know we live in an impatient culture? Well, because I flew from San Diego to Fort Lauderdale overnight from Friday to Saturday. And you know what? You wait an hour longer than you think you're going to in the airport, and you can see we live in an impatient culture, let alone seven minutes, right? <laughs> we live in a culture where people are expecting immediate response. When I worked at Starbucks, when I was in seminary, we were supposed to get drinks out in three minutes. You get drinks out in three minutes or it's late. And I can tell you, people are not happy if their drink is not ready in three minutes. If you go to the drive-thru at McDonald's or wherever, and they get, you get to the, the pickup window and they tell you, I'm sorry, it's not ready, will you pull up to the park? You're like, oh my gosh, can't you people get it together? You're incompetent, moron. Right. You know, not that we ever talk like that, kids. And, you know, you're in the car with us. You, I can't, we can't trip you, right? We live in an impatient culture. We want what we want when we want it right away, and we're used to getting it immediately. In this type of a culture, as Christians, we too often mirror this type of, type of lifestyle and sort of general sort of, uh, like, Im- impulse and, 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 and just sort of demeanor in life, Right? We, we are excessive, we're ambitious, we're angry, we're impatient. But what if, what if as Christians we became known not as people who got angry about this or that or the other, politics or whatever, what if we became known not as people who have more than we need or people who are ambitious to get this or that done or live this, that or that kind of a life or people are impatient just like everyone else, what if as Christians we became known as people who were profoundly and consistently grateful? What if we were known as people who were just obnoxiously thankful? You know the people, like, you get around them and you're like, this can't be real, because they're just like, they're constantly, like that song we just sang, they live in the goodness of God. And you're like, how is it going? They're like, man, I'm doing so great. And they're like, you know, they, and you're like, oh, you know, we all know that person. You're like, no way that's real, right? Nobody's that happy and thankful all the time. But sometimes, sometimes you meet someone and you think they're that way and you think this guy's just a bogus. He's just, you know, putting on a plastic smile and pretending. And then you get to really know them and you realize, no, they really are that way. 
And how do you know? Because they go through stuff that drives you crazy and they're still thankful. What if we all were that way? What if the, 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 the consistent testimony of the Bible and the consistent command to be thankful became a part of who we truly are? I just picked one verse. It's one of many verses that talks about this. Psalm 118, verse 1. And I just want to unpack it in a, in a few different parts. The first is the command to give thanks. Uh, so this next slide. Give thanks. Give thanks. Now it's interesting. If you study this word, this was originally written in the Old Testament in Hebrew. The word is not actually, it actually doesn't really mean give thanks. It means more like give praise or worship. The, the Hebrew language does not have a word for thankfulness. Now, that sounds strange to us because we talk about it a lot. We have a whole holiday celebrated this concept of giving thanks. For the, for the Hebrew mind, though, for the Old Testament, thankfulness was simply a part of a life of worship. That, that what it meant to be a thankful person, and that's why the Bible rightly translates it give thanks, because for, for them, for, for, for the psalmist and for the Hebrews, for the people of God, being thankful was part of what it meant to be people who worship the Lord. To give thanks is to ascribe to God what is true of Him, despite or in light of what's happening in our lives. Give thanks to God for what's true of Him and what He does, despite or in light of what's happening in our lives. To give thanks. It's not, there's not an exception. There's not, you know, throughout the Bible, there's these expressions. Give thanks in all things. Give thanks without ceasing. Give thanks always and for everything. There's not, there's not an exception clause. There's not an exception to giving thanks. You are called to give thanks consistently and persistently. To the Lord. And thanks is part of a life of worship. One of the things we talk a lot about in our church is wholehearted worship. We believe that God designed us for life and that life like he intended us to live is found when we're brought to God in wholehearted worship through the cross of Jesus Christ. When we hear what the, the Bible calls the gospel, the good news, that Jesus was the perfect God who came and became a man, was born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, died a death that sinners deserved when he was crucified on the cross, was buried and raised from the dead. And that if you turn away from your sin and trust in Christ for forgiveness, you'll be forgiven of your sin and given new life. We believe that when that happens, God does something in your heart and your life and he turns you into a worshiper. Not of yourself, not of your stuff, but of him. And that part of a life of wholehearted worship is being persistently and consistently and obnoxiously grateful all of the time. Give thanks. Who do we thank? Who do we thank? Well, it says there, who do we thank? To the Lord. To the Lord. Now, it's not bad to say thank you to people. I say thank you to, I try to say thank you to people often. But you notice in the Bible, like if you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, when he gives thanks at the beginning of his letter, he doesn't tell the Corinthian church or the Philippian church, um, he, he doesn't say thank you for all that you've done. What he usually says is, I give thanks to God for you. I give thanks to God for you. And so, so when I'm talking about giving thanks, 
I'm not talking about a general attitude of gratitude, which is good. I'm not talking about an attitude of gratitude toward other people, which is good. I'm talking about gratitude to God in light of all of those things. We give thanks to the Lord. We give thanks to the Lord. You see there that Lord is all capitalized um, uppercase lettering because in English, English Bibles, when it translates the Hebrew name Yahweh, it translates it that way so you know that that's what it's saying. This is the proper name of God. We talked a lot about this in our Godology series earlier this uh, uh, end of summer, early fall, and that's I think all on the website if you want to listen to those, that Yahweh is the name of God. Exodus chapter 3 Verses 13 through 15, Moses asked God, if I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, what is his name? What should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. I am is the the name of God. He is perfect existence. He is eternally who he is. We get to the New Testament. We find out the name of God is not merely Yahweh, but is actually the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That Yahweh is eternally a trinity. That we give thanks to who? To the Lord who exists. To the Lord who is real. To the God who is true. To the God who is truly there. To the God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. We give thanks to the Lord. So what does this mean? This means for a life of gratitude, you have to know who God is. You have to know who God is, and and you have to know what God is like. You have to know His attributes. You have to know that He is eternal. He he is infinite. He is unchangeable. He is unchanging. He he is omnipresent. He knows all. He is present in all places. He's omnipotent. He has all power. You have to know who God is. You have to study the Bible. You have to read good books. You have to know who God is to live a life of gratitude. We have this book table in the back. Why do we have that? Why we have that to help you learn things like who God is. There's a book back there called Delighting in the Trinity. Pick that book up. Read about who God is. To live a life of gratitude. It's not just a generic attitude of gratitude. It is an attitude of gratitude, a posture of worshipful thankfulness to God. And you can't thank God if you don't know who he is. Who do we thank? We thank God. Why should we thank God? Why should we give thanks? Well, he tells us here, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. He is good. Kids, say that with me. He is good. You, you can, you could, that's, if you don't remember anything else, you can remember that. He is good. One theologian says this means that, that nothing is better than God. Nothing is better than God. So, some think that this is the most proper way to talk about God is, is, is his goodness. His goodness means that he has everything he needs within himself. His goodness means that he doesn't need us. He doesn't need our worship. He doesn't need our praise. He doesn't need his creation. He doesn't need anything. He only needs himself. 
He is perfectly content in himself. We've all met families, right? And we know families, and maybe you are a family, who they're pretty much happy just hanging out with themselves. They just kind of hang out with themselves. They have friends, but they don't really necessarily need all their friends all the time. They, they're kind of self-contained, and maybe they're a tight-knit family. This is God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is eternally content in himself, and he is eternally perfect in himself. He doesn't need you. He doesn't need us. We don't contribute anything to God that he hasn't first already given to us. This is good news. Why is this good news? Because a God who needs us is a God who will manipulate us. A God who needs us is a God who will manipulate us. But a God who is content in himself will only give good out of the free and gracious overflow of his goodness. And so he doesn't manipulate us. He simply offers himself to us and he says, I'm fine. I'm fine. So you can come to me for what is best for you, but if you don't, I'm content in myself. He is perfect in every way. He is better than everything. He, the best thing that you can think about God is not even close to how good God is. The best thing that God has ever given you is only a faint glimpse of his generosity. God is good in himself. There is nothing better than God. We don't, we don't always believe this, though. We don't believe this. We, we, we know that we should think this, and we feel guilty that we don't, but we don't truly believe it. Why not? Why don't we believe this? Because I say nothing is better than God, and everyone's like, okay, yeah, I know. I sh- I'm supposed to believe that. And, you know, it's better than my iPhone. He's better than, you know, my car. He's better than my family. He's better than my house. I know he's good. But we, he's better than Disney+. Plus. He's, you know, you know, he's better. But we don't really believe it. We don't really believe it. Why don't we believe it? We don't live like it. Why don't we live like it? Because we know it in our heads, but we have not experienced it with our life. Psalm 34, verse 8 says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. The goodness of God is something you have to experience to appreciate. And that's what this next part of the verse, why should we give thanks? Because God is good in himself and his faithful love endures forever. His faithful love endures forever. The word there for faithful love is the Hebrew word chesed. Everyone say that with me. Chesed. Now apologize to your neighbor for spitting on them. Okay. Chesed. This is his, this is what the, the King James translated loving kindness. Some translates it, some translations ESV say says steadfast love. It's, it's the special love that God has for his people. It's covenant love. So, so the way to describe this is you love, should, as a Christian, you love everybody, right? You know, love everybody. I know you don't really, but you're supposed to, right? You know, you. But I want you to think about the love, if you're, if you're a parent, that you have for your kids. Or if you're married, the love you have for your wife or your husband. Or if you're a grandparent, the love you have for your grandkids. And what you would do, what you would not, is there anything you would not do to bring them the best for their lives? Is there anything, is there any price you wouldn't pay? Is there anything that would not be worth sacrificing for their well-being? And the answer is no. The answer is no. 
I was watching this video. There's a, there was a pitcher for the Dodgers, boo, um, in the 60s named Sandy Koufax, one of the best pitchers who ever pitched. And he retired at the height of his career at the age of 30, had one of the best pitching seasons in all of history, and he announced his retirement because he was having to take cortisone shots and he was having to have so much medication because his arm would hurt so bad. And he said, I want to retire before my arm is so injured that I'm like, you know, incapacitated and in pain for the rest of my life. And someone asked him, what about the loss of income? And he said, well, I think if you asked someone who had lost their arm what they'd be willing to pay to get it back, and it's probably more than I will make in the rest of my career. And he's 84, 83, and he's happy, and his arm works fine. How much more so would we do for our family, the people that we love, our kids, our grandkids, our wife, or our husband? This is what faithful love, it is the covenant love that God has for his people. God has shown his faithful love, his chesed, in his creation of the world and his redemption of the world. In faithful love, God called the world into being. Kids, what is the first verse of the Bible? I know at least one of you knows it. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. All right. You know what? You did such a great job. I'm going to give you all pretzels, okay? There you go. In faithful love, God brought the world into existence by his word. By the way, and God said, it was good. Because he is good. Psalm 119, verse 68. And he does good. In faithful love, God created the world. Then what happened in this world that he created? He made Adam and Eve. And what did Adam and Eve do? They sinned. Exactly. They, it's like steps in and he's like drops the mic, right? Like George Costanza, that's it for me. And he leaves, right? They sinned. But God says, I will not abandon you. I will, I will show faithful love to you. Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman will crush the head of the seed of the serpent. And God, from that point, begins his rescue mission to save his people whom he loves, his wayward children, who he would do, he would, he would stop at nothing to save them. When they go wayward in, in the first days of, of Noah, what does God do? He saves Noah as a remnant, and Noah's family as a new humanity, sends the flood to wipe out humanity, but he doesn't save humanity utterly. He doesn't save he doesn't, doesn't wipe them out completely. He saves a people. He calls Abraham and says, Abraham, in the midst of your idolatry, I want you to go from your family and your land, and I want you to follow me. I'm going to take you to this land that I'm going to show you, and I will be your God, and I will make you a great nation. I will bless you, and I will keep my covenant love with you and with your descendant after you, with, with his people who had multiplied to millions by that point hundreds of years later, and had been taken captive in Egypt and were slaves in Egypt, he sends Moses, and he speaks to Moses in the burning bush, and he says, I am who I am, as I just read a few minutes ago, and I've seen my people's slavery, and I'm going to set them free. And he sends Moses, and Moses does what? He goes to Pharaoh, and kids, what does he say to Pharaoh? Let my people go. All right, that wasn't as good. You get a pre- give a pretzel to your mom or your dad, because he... Let my people go. And he takes them and he parts the Red Sea and he brings them through the Red Sea and he saves his people. He saves his people in his covenant love. Then, 
Hundreds of years later, he brings to the people his good king, David, and he brings David, and David leads the people in wisdom and in strength and integrity. And, and he says to David, I'm going to make an everlasting covenant with you and with your seed after you. And then the people sin again, and they go off into exile, and they're defeated by Babylon and Assyria, and yet God then brings them back from exile, and they come back to the promised land. But then Rome comes in. Rome, the Roman Empire, the most powerful nation in the world, the empire comes and defeats the people of God and rules in the land of Israel. Into that comes God the Son incarnate, which we celebrate at Christmas time because of God's faithful love to his people. When Jesus came, when Jesus came, he said there's no Hebrew word for giving thanks. That's the Old Testament. But, but in, the, in the New Testament, which was written in Greek, there, there is a word for giving thanks. Eucharisteo. If you have Catholic friends, or maybe you were Catholic at one point, or of a liturgical communion, they call what we call the Lord's Supper or communion. They call it the Eucharist. Why do they call it that? It's from the Greek word Eucharisteo, which means give thanks. So when Jesus took the loaves and the fish, remember when the multitudes were hungry? It says he took five loaves and two fish, and he fed them. But what did he do first? It says he gave thanks. And then he did a miracle and fed thousands from just a few pieces of bread and a couple of fish. On the night before he was betrayed, or the night he was betrayed before he was crucified, Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples. And they took the bread and they took the cup and they had the meal that they'd been celebrating for hundreds of years. And what does it say? It says, Jesus gave thanks. So thanksgiving for God's faithful love is giving thanks for what God has done in creation and in redemption. Sometimes we want to think about the goodness of God in terms of like, okay, God is good in the circumstances of my life. And that is true. That is absolutely true. I see it. Uh, so like most of you know that uh, Laura, my wife, she's like, she does like more around here than I do, right? She just like, she does the kids. She does all sorts of stuff. She's like, she does a ton of stuff for the church, and she works in kids a lot and volunteers, and she coordinates kids' workers. She does a lot of stuff, right? So I've been living in a constant state of anxiety for a year and a half because I knew there would come a day when one of our kids would be sick, and she would have to stay home, and everything would just fall apart. No, not really, and I'm not really being serious, but, but what if she's working in kids that day, or what, what are we going to do? And uh, I'm being a little, uh, uh, exaggerating a little bit, but really I was like, okay, someday our kid's going to get sick and we're going to have to figure it out. Well, in the goodness of God, one of our, not that the kid got sick, but in the goodness of God, Adeline, our oldest daughter, is sick this morning, but it came on a morning when she wasn't scheduled to work in kids and when all the elementary kids were already in. So really, it didn't really affect things hardly at all. And that's just a minor instance of the goodness of God. So often we're, ten, we're tempted to think, and, and, and I absolutely give thanks to the goodness, for God for his goodness in that. That is a sign of his goodness in the circumstances of life. And we should give thanks for those things. But our first impulse should be to give thanks for his goodness in the overarching story of what he's doing in the world in Christ. That if we have an attitude of thanksgiving and a posture of worshipful thanks because of what God has done for us in the gospel, then we will give thanks even when the circumstances stink because it doesn't always work out that way. 
right? Because sometimes the, the inconvenience happens at a very inconvenient time. And you don't get to look at the circumstances and say, see, God worked everything out. You see, you think, man, this is a terrible time for this to happen. When it rains, it pours. What do you do then when the circumstances of your life stink? How can you give thanks then? You can give thanks because in all things, God has already acted for your good in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in Christ, He has made everything as it should be, and one day will fulfill the promise that He will do that. And He has paid your debt of sin. He has given you new life and righteousness. And that in your circumstances, even when they stink, you know that He's working all things together for His glory and for your good. Give thanks because the Lord is good and His faithful love endures forever. I wonder what the Israelites were thinking when they were working from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. in the hot Egyptian sun. I wonder what they were thinking. I wonder what the Israelites were thinking when they were chained with their hands behind their back on the way to Babylon. I wonder what they were thinking when Roman soldiers were marching through the streets and God had promised to restore them. I wonder what they were thinking when their temple, their place of worship was destroyed. I wonder what we're thinking when life conspires and it seems like everything's going wrong. We can look to God. He is good in himself and he does good in the world and on behalf of his people. Give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. So I want to ask you a question. What now? What now? There's been a number of scientific studies that have empirically demonstrated the power of thanks. Um, two researchers, one from UC Davis in California and the other from the University of Miami. And they lost to FIU yesterday, but, you know, the research was still good. And they did, a re they did an experiment. They, they had a group of people and they split the group into three groups. And they, they told one group, um, for 10 weeks, we want you to write all of the, and just journal all of the bad things that happened to you every day for 10 weeks. Then they took a group and said, we want you to write for 10 weeks in a journal about all the things that impact your life that are not positive or negative that just sort of happen, like neutral things. And then they took a group, the other third of the group, and they said, we want you to write every day things that are th uh, positive things that you are thankful for every day. For 10 weeks, they do this, two and a half months. In that 10 weeks, they were to empirically demonstrate that the group that wrote and journaled things they were thankful for was more optimistic, as you would expect, and felt better about their lives, as you would expect, but surprisingly... This is a quote from an article I found on this. They also exercised more and visited the doctor less. So it has physically been pr proven to be physically beneficial for you to live a life of gratitude. Another rec researcher from the University of Pennsylvania um, asked each um, 
uh, took a group of people and asked them to think of people who'd had a positive impact in their lives who they never said thank you to and write a letter of thanksgiving and give it to that person personally to, to literally say, this, I just wanted to say thank you and, and hand that to that person. And they found that participants immediately saw a dramatic increase in their, they, they had a way of testing their level of happiness before that and after that. And that, that benefit lasted for over a month from that single act of gratitude. Um, other studies have, have shown that managers who say thank you to their employees, they did, they did a study and it was a, a group that were, it was like donor development and people who were trying to contact donors for, for, for an organization. And one group, the manager would just tell them what to do. And the other group, they would have like a little pre-service huddle rally, uh, pre-service, we do that here, pre-work pre, you know, huddle or rally. And they would just, the manager would just tell the people who were calling donors, just tell them thank you for what they were doing. Not, not to tell the, the, the workers to tell the donors thank you. They told thank you to the workers for what they were doing to contact donors. And they saw a 50% difference in effectiveness in those who were thanked and those who were not. There has been scientific evidence of the power of thankfulness. It has been demonstrated that giving thanks to people and giving thanks in general can have a positive impact on your mental health and your physical health. How much more to give thanks to the one who actually is good and deserves all thanks in the first place? How much more to give thanks to God who is worthy of our thanks in every circumstance, in every time, in every situation for his faithfulness and his goodness? So here's what I want to challenge you to do. It's Thanksgiving on Thursday, all right? But I want, you to, I want, I want to challenge you to cultivate a life of gratitude. And I want to challenge you to find a way, and, and for a while what I was doing is I would, in my morning quiet time, before I did any other prayer, I would just tell God thank you for ten things. And, and I would challenge myself to thank him for different things than I had thanked him for before, you know? So, like, if I go through, I could, like, if I go, like, wife, kids, that's, like, four right there. So, I, so like, I didn't want to cheat, not that I'm not thankful for Laura and Adeline and Judson and Olivia, but I wanted to think of specific things each and every day that I could tell him thank you for because I felt like I was becoming a, a grumpy person. And so I want to challenge you to give thanks to God for 10 things every day. Maybe you do five in the morning, five in the evening. Maybe you do a journal. Maybe you just do it verbally. But I really think if you journal it, the impact will be lasting. You'll be able to look back. Maybe you just put a note in your phone, in your iPhone notes, and you just say thank you, and you just type it out, and you look through, and you can see the faithfulness of God right there when you, lo when you look back. So I want you to do that intentionally. I also want you to challenge you to be thankful spontaneously. So when you're tempted to be angry about something, to pause and ask God for the grace to pause and to say, thank you, God, for this circumstance. Thank you in the midst of this circumstance. 
when you're tempted to be excessive, to say, God, I'm thankful for what I do have. I'm thankful for what you have done. I'm thankful for who you are. When you're tempted to ambition, when you're tempted to long for the good life, whatever that means for you. So for some time, I'm not, you know, like corporate ladder climbing, but, but I, don't, I don't know if I don't know about you, but that like doesn't really resonate with me. But what does resonate with me is like, I would love to live a life where I could travel the world and do all this stuff. When, when you look at your life and you see you have this ambition for something, just pause and just tell God, thank you. Instead for what you do have and what life is instead of what it isn't. When you're tempted toward impatience, when you're tempted toward impatience, to pause and to thank God in the midst of that for the opportunity to pause and to have time. Maybe, maybe he's like, you know what? You're so busy, I had to delay your flight because it's the only way I could get you to spend any time with me. You're so busy that I had to, you're honey-baked ham, you know? You're going to be waiting there for 14 hours in line right? because it's the only way I could get you to spend the day with me to pause and to trust and to thank God in the midst of the circumstances of your life and ultimately for what he's done for you in Christ. What, what would it look like? What would it look like for us to mobilize an army of people who were known for being truly and almost obnoxiously great all of the time? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your character. Thank you for who you are on the inside. You are eternally, eternally good. And you do good in in the life of your people and in the world. And so I ask that we would live lives of gratitude. That we would be people whose first impulse is thank you, not ugh. That we would be thankful this holiday season, this Thanksgiving season into Christmas season, that when we're tempted to anger, that we would be thankful. When we're tempted to excess, we would be thankful. When we're tempted toward ambition, that we would be thankful. When we're tempted to impatience, that we would be thankful, that your spirit would do that in our hearts. For he is, as Thomas Aquinas said, the one who is appropriately called good the good God, the good spirit at work in us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.